Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. All right, back here in Ohio, and I'm here with um, Ohio Capital Journal reporter Jake Zuckerman. Thanks for coming back. How's it going today? Things are good. Thanks for having me up. No problem. Hey, um, lots of stuff going on with the Ohio State House. Um, you talked to me about a recent story that you wrote about Scott Lips, and um, he got reappointed as the health chairman um, of the Ohio uh, the health committee, right? Do I have that correct? Okay. Fantastic. And, and that's gotten, obviously, some controversy. In case anybody knows, what's the controversy of Scott being renamed? The controversy really comes back to his relationship with a group known as Health Freedom Ohio. Now, Lips and the people of Health Freedom Ohio would dispute that they're an anti-vaccine organization. They said they exist to lobby on behalf of policy to weaken Ohio's vaccine requirements. It kind of shifted to this anti-COVID, anti-mask messaging in the last nine, ten months. But you know, really, they're always trying to make sure it changes, like forbid employers from saying you, my employee, must receive a flu vaccine, receive a vaccine, or uh, they recently had some uh, have pushed for laws that say when you are taking your kids to school and you know sending getting their immunizations done a require school you know new ideas to require schools to tell parents how easy it is to get out of a vaccine in ohio currently allows for reasons of conscience to get you out of vaccine requirements so, so they're really fighting vaccines or at least fighting any sort of requirement that you take vaccines so you know we can get caught up in semantics but the bottom line is that both groups are very mistrustful of vaccines both Scott Lips and this group, they both share what I would classify as misinformation about vaccines. They, they amplify the risks of vaccines. They downplay their huge societal benefits. They offer these contorting, warped, uh, you know, pieces of cherry-picked evidence to suggest some kind of looming injury behind any vaccine. But, you know, it just it, right now we are in the largest vaccine rollout in human history. This un- we've never gotten this many people vaccinated this quickly. And in the midst of all that, the person who has made statements saying we need to stop or slow down the COVID-19 vaccine has suggested that there isn't enough research done, has just been put in this position of unique control of Ohio House policy. It definitely is a concern. I- I'm kind of thinking... Like in terms of the rollout, the rollout's coming more from the federal level. Obviously, that's going through DeWine. And not to the State House has nothing to do with it, but it seems to be rolling out even without the State House making, you know, definite steps that way. What could someone like Ellipse do? Obviously, you know, anti vaccine. What would, 
what could he potentially do in this role that could slow down maybe the vaccines coming to Ohio? Uh, the easiest answer to that is is the bully pulpit. Right now, the line is taking this approach of we are not going to force people to get vaccinated. You know, there's Supreme Court precedents that says you probably could legally right. require vaccination. It's just, it's just not a great approach. It's tough politically. So they're just trying to sell the vaccine. So it's, it's an information campaign. Get the right information out that these have been. And if you look at the data, you know, these get tested on tens of thousands of people. Right. Half of them the placebo, half of them the real vaccine. We know that these are 95% effective in fighting off vaccines. It, now, there are some un, kind of like nasty side effects that come with these. You might get chills, fever, uncomfortable stuff. But as far as serious complications go, they're incredibly rare. Getting struck by lightning. But you need people to sell the vaccine. Right now, you're giving people the bully pull. You know, person yeah. from the health committee is a, is a trusted voice of health. And if that trusted voice of health is saying, I don't think the data is there, and not actually really, you know, I, I did get to talk to Lips about this, and he didn't really give me a clear answer of whether he's reviewed this data. So it's unclear where he's getting this finding from. But he could just tell people that I'm not going to take the vaccine, which he did. He's now made yeah. that comment to two media outlets, myself included, and that has an effect on people. You know, I mean, this, this is totally a battle of persuasion. So that's just one. Another is that there's an entity called the Ohio Controlling Board, which is made up of lawmakers, which is kind of an, an administrator of federal funds. Scott Lips is not on that board, but he has, he has colleagues that are on that board. He is a voice that they would listen to. You know, I mean, there are different indirect ways, I think, that someone, when you have that kind of power and prestige that aren't even necessarily attached to the spouse powers of the office, but it comes back to the bully pool. This is the House Health you know, Chairman making comments like, I don't think this vaccine is safe. In your conversation with him, is he kind of looking forward to using that bully pulpit, or is he making indications he might not say quite as much as we may think he may say? Yeah was pushing to me in our conversation was that his concern is more about employer. He thinks that it is not the business of a private employer tell employees that you must get a COVID-19 or flu vaccine. And this will come up, usually hospitals are the big battleground here. Hospitals want all their nurses to take the vaccine, want all their nurses to take COVID-19. And they have a right to fight, you know, if you choose not to take your vaccine, that is your right. But Employment is not a right. Employment is a privilege. So their argument will be, we will fire you if you choose not to take that vaccine. And Representative Lips is trying to change the law there, suggest that no, you cannot do that. This is not, you cannot force your employees. Use terms like coerced, worse, you know, the language is generally aggressive. Yeah. Well, and from the argument saying, I mean, I can understand somebody saying, well, you can't tell me this. Well, if you look at the opposite of it, you're pretty much saying, hey, employees, bring your employees back. And I mean, hey, employer, bring your employee back and you don't have to have the COVID vaccine. I mean, that would seem to be more dangerous for these employers than anything else. So it's funny, like you look at freedom, you know, one way the guy's saying, oh, I don't have any freedom. Well, you're taking away employers' freedoms, too. So it's kind of a catch point too there, you know, with the argument. And some of the basis of the law that, you know, allows this right to compel vaccinations is that my vaccination is not just a personal product for me. It's not just that I can't get sick. And we don't know this. 
ironclad yet with the COVID vaccine, but generally with infectious disease when you're vaccinated, you can't spread the disease. So yeah. fewer people in a community that can spread the disease, all of a sudden people who can't accept vaccinations, who are immunocompromised and can't fight viruses like most of our bodies can enjoy, we call it herd immunity, vaccination threshold. You know, the general idea is that if a virus can affect fewer people in a population, it will affect, affect fewer people in a the population. Therefore, they get some of this. <clears throat> and also, if you look at some of these variants that are popping out, variations of the virus are just sort of the natural outcome of a million infections per day or however many infections. That's, that's a bogus number. But however many infections per day are happening, the more infections there are in a given day, the more likely there is that there will be a variant that emerges will not be effective against the vaccine. So we'd be right back where we started. It's interesting. My, my wife isn't anti-vaccine at all. She got the chance to get the vaccine last week uh, with some of the teachers. She's a teacher here in the Columbus area. It gave her pause, and she admitted this to me, and she said a lot of people around her was they were in line, they were reading to that booklet that you get when you get the vaccine. And obviously, these are emergency use. I mean, we're in a tough situation. Um, how concerned should people be, not in a, hey, I want to be anti-vaccine, that to look at this, and obviously we don't know for sure if it's going to take away COVID, it's, but it's the best thing that we've got available for now. Should there be any concern with that? I think it's normal. I think it's healthy. I think, you know, I, anyone who's vaccine hesitant is usually the language there, is just go find the data. I mean, the data, the data really, it tells a phenomenal story. And when you just understand how these studies work, people in the studies do not know if they've gotten the actual vaccine or what, you know, a sugar pill. Right. And you look at the outcomes, and the outcomes speak for themselves. I mean, if you got the vaccine 95 times out of 100, you did not get infected by the coronavirus. Right. And measured against people who got the placebo, who went out in the community and did. Right. There were, I think, in most of them, there were about 15 to 20,000 people who got the in the between Pfizer and Moderna. There were about 15, 20,000 who actually received the vaccine. There were like three to five cases of Bell's palsy, which is a serious complication. There have been, in the first like four million vaccines administered, 20 to 50 anaphylactic reactions, you know, very serious reactions are nothing to scoff at. Right. You need to. You really just got to think of yourself. Of, what are my real risks right now? Because the real risk, right. one of the leading causes of death in America, is the coronavirus. It's not. It's not to say that you're guaranteed against any adverse reaction, but you just kind of have to measure that risk versus this really infinitesimally small risk of a vaccine reaction. Personal decision. Let the data speak. Yeah, and for the general public, again, we're not talking definitely anti-vaxxers. We're talking people that go to the place to get the vaccine, and they kind of take a breath when they see that, you know, information. But I think to your point, what you're saying is, look, since it's not guaranteed, since they haven't made it to 100%, then they have to use that language. Because if you use that language, pretty much you can sue them if, if, if you're one of the 100,000 cases that get COVID. You know what I mean? Like, there's no guarantee, so they have to say that in the... Um, disclaimer, right? Yeah, I, I think that under emergency, the vaccine injury gets to be a little wonky. There are special courts established for the country, yeah. and you're actually your recourse is more limited under an emergency use vaccine. And that's one thing I have heard in talking to people who study this kind of law is that the law is not as generous as it could be in compensating people who are who 
do get injured by experimental vaccines. But I, I think that the point here, it's really less about legalese. It's it's all in the data. Data is right. all there. Learn how to go through it yourself. And if you don't, find someone who does. Find a friend. Find a family physician. I think that you'll find a pretty ironclad pro-vaccine opinion from the medical community. Well, it's a cost-benefit analysis. I mean, there's always a risk in anything you do. I mean, if you get in the car and drive across town, I can't guarantee you'll be okay. But again, the benefit, you know, obviously uh, from everything that dad says outweighs the risk. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that people have to remember here. And look at look at smallpox and polio. Those are not problems that we have to deal with in, that country, in this right. country. That's not a thing that just happened. That happened because of vaccination and because of a sustained persuasion campaign. And yeah. stuff mandates in, in employment and education get us to that point where we just don't have to worry about these. Beautiful thing. When do you see, um, like you were talking, Lips was talking about concerns with saying, hey, you know, uh, employers shouldn't be able to force their employees to do that. Is that coming up for discussion anytime soon or is that something that's just kind of out there? So a version of the bill has been introduced before before the coronavirus existed. So it had to do with pre-existing vaccines. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no intelligence as to has. I don't believe a bill has been introduced with that language. I don't know if it will come. I would suspect it would, but I do know that I have asked then Senate President Larry Abhoff and then Speaker Bob Cup about this. And at least it was more so Senate President Abhoff who took the tack that he didn't think it'd be constitutional. For yeah. a legislature to step in and tell an employer how to handle his or her employees. So I think that there are, even within the Republican caucus, some divisions on this stuff. Right. It's it's hard to say, does the non-starter bill get introduced? Do they want this right right now, you know, this moment? That's that's another question. But as far as like right here, right now, we're gonna introduce it's going to be interesting to see how this debate evolves. I mean, thankfully, we have lesser numbers. Obviously, it's no indication that COVID's done soon by a chance. But it looks like stats are starting to go in the right way when a couple months they were going completely the horrible way. And I'll be interested to see how this debate develops as we see what the numbers do over the next couple months. Yeah, I think so. I think one thing to keep in mind, is, as great as this news is, is we, we hit that third wave yeah. Back in like early October, when that thing just started to take off, we were seeing about a thousand cases a day, and now we're down yeah. to thousand. So you know, two thousand cases a day seems fine and dandy when we we saw ten thousand cases a day in early January. But we have enough population that's currently infected to see another wave take off, and that fact is is really critical. To understand, we are not out of the woods here. And even you know the good numbers we got yesterday we're still double what they were at the end of the summer. So, yeah, thankfully it's not 20,000, but still 2,000-something, you know, definitely deserves concern. So, yeah, definitely. And I'll be interested to see kind of what happens two weeks from now. There was some concern federally over the weekend with last night's Super Bowl. Is there a Super Bowl spreader party? And, um, you know, those parties might, you know, spread, you know, the virus around. It'd be interesting what the reaction is two weeks from now. We're not going to know until we see what the numbers are. So it'll be interesting. All right, sounds good. Anything else going on uh, with the lip sync? It sounds like it's pretty cut and dried. Uh, just, it sounds like it's an interesting debate that's bound to probably rear its ugly head again. Yeah, I think it will. Senate Bill Twenty Two is coming through, which would change. It would be it would, the long story short is it would give the Ohio lawmakers a lot more say over coronavirus response 
and take that power back to the governor and both Health Freedom Ohio, which Lips is associated with and another similar group, have really thrown their weight behind Bill. So all of a sudden you have a lot of anti-vaccine activists coming in, sharing anti-vaccine ideas to lawmakers. So now there's just a forum for this stuff, which I think yeah. is the end. Very good. Well, we'll definitely keep keep up with it. I mean, like I said, it's something that's not going away. And, you know, a personal plea to the people, like we just said, you know, hey, COVID's trending in a good direction. Vaccines are trying to get out. All very good news. But still, be very careful. I mean, don't take this news as, hey, we can do whatever. I mean, be careful, mask up, and keep your distance. And, you know, hopefully these numbers keep going in a proper direction if you guys keep continuing to do that. What well, well, Jake, remind us how we reach out to you on Twitter. Uh, I'm Jake underscore Zuckerman on Twitter. You can subscribe to our newsletter online or shoot me an email. Yeah, and check out Ohio Capital Journal, a free uh, publication, lots of statehouse stories, um, you know, locally and some nationally too. So lots of good stuff. Newsletter, I subscribe to it, and each morning you get a lot of good stuff from the State House. Well, well, Jake, thanks so much. Uh, Stick around for a second afterwards. Thank you for listening to Ohio and everybody. Have a great day.